Can Munster and Leinster both get to the Champions Cup semi-finals? Why did an Irish rugby player have to drink a pint of red wine? And what is going on with the IRFU and Dunnick Ryan? It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here. The rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. We had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it, I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 euro quid I'll ever spend. Here's Eastlip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off to Hinshaw! Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time! Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The Hard Yards, the Sports Joe Rugby podcast. I'm Andy McGeady. With me in studio is Sports Joe Rugby reporter Pat McCarry. Morning or hello everybody. Kev McLaughlin. Hey Andy. And former Ulster and Ireland man Stephen Ferris. What about you? What about you? Yeah, you're <laughs> getting your, this geography making early entrance here. Um, as the newest member of the podcast studio, we were going to initiate you, but then it might be easier to tell us about your initiation when you got to the Ireland squad because you, you came in with a few players I don't think you'd be able to keep up with my drinking to be honest <laughs> with you so um, y- your initiation uh, might my, my, my fall, fall flat in its face but yeah it's um, it's funny like all the new caps um, obviously it's a great day it's it's brilliant but that night you know you have to stand up in front of maybe an audience of three or four hundred people a lot of all the, the opposition team and you have to get up down a drink and then sing a song and then the night goes on and you're just getting drunker and drunker and the likes of uh, Run Nogara is walking up to you with a pint glass of red wine and he drinks a pint glass of red wine, you drink a pint glass of red wine and then the next thing somebody else is walking up to you with a drink. So as Kev will maybe uh, talk about, it can be a, a long night or in his case a very, very short night. <laughs> so, so this was back just to, to place this. This was the last international at the Old Lansdowne Road yeah. against the Pacific yeah. Islands. Uh, yourself... Jamie Heaslip, Luke Fitzgerald, all major debuts that day. Um, so there's three years getting hazed. Yeah, uh, well, Luke Fitzgerald, young chap, um, he, he disappeared early. He just took himself off. He's a he sensible like, young uh, man. Yeah, sensible. He just got out of there pretty quickly. Um, I liked a, a tipple or two, so I stayed on and, and Jamie stayed on. But it's amazing even chatting to, you know, chatting about myself, Jamie and Luke, the way our all our careers have went completely different ways and uh, look at myself and I retired and Jamie's still going you know he's almost approaching 100 caps for for Ireland um, so it's amazing how everybody's different and everybody goes in different directions um, and I think Pat you you touched on that before mm. um, about you know our three careers getting our first cap in the same day and then all going different ways but yeah good memories from that night what, um, did, what did you think uh, to be honest, I can't remember. <laughs> it was probably like Fresh Prince of Bel Air or something <laughs> like that. Uh, something easy that I wouldn't forget and, 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 and make an idiot of myself. But yeah, good times. And Kev and myself were chatting um, just off air later on. And um, he had a bit of a wild night over in Paris not too long ago. Yeah, that was, that was your debut in Paris against the French, yeah? No, it wasn't actually. Uh, no? So I played against um, Italy the week before for my first cap. And then yeah. this guy, I don't know if you know him, goes by the name of Stephen Ferris, had been injured uh, for the Italian game and came back. And uh, <laughs> yeah, came back for the French game. So I, I travelled with the squad but wasn't actually playing. So I, to be honest with you, I was totally in the comfort zone. Like, yeah, you were a real that target that weekend. Well, I, I had a lovely weekend, autumn weekend in Paris. You know what I mean? Like going out, drinking coffees, chilling out. I wasn't playing. 
um, and didn't see it coming at all. And and uh, Ferris or Fez had a couple of mates for for this initiation. I was uh, flying solo, and we lost the game. We didn't play particularly well, so I was like, "There's no way they're going to do it this night." And then uh, I think who was it? Raj tapped me on the shoulder. I think it was and. He'd a pint of something or other in his hand, and t- well, two pints or something or other in his hand. <laughs> he knocked one back, winked at me, handed me to hit the other one. I had to knock it back, and I started off with a huge amount of enthusiasm and gusto, and you know, I, I was feeling pretty confident about the whole thing. And about five or six of the Irish lads got involved. I was like, "This is no problem at all." And then I saw the French players' eyes start to light up, and um, a couple of them I remember in particular, William Servac came over with a one of those bowls of uh, you know the bowl gin and tonic type glasses of uh, pasties um, a mint uh, spirit <laughs> and passed it over to me again winked at me knocked it back and that was the turning point and it all went downhill from there and I <laughs> some conversations that night that I probably should never have had Th- that was the end of your lovely weekend in yeah, Paris. yeah 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 my lovely weekend in Paris like I, I, I don't think the conversation I had that night were, were the best thing for my Ireland career let's just say that <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a, so, so you're, you're throwing people under a bus Roger's getting the mention here now by both of you uh, then this you must have been on the other foot at some point did you give some poor Egypt then a taste of their own medicine did you yeah Kev were you over in Argentina no, 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 you weren't, you, you weren't in Argentina, um, and it was like my second or third cap, uh, it was when the B team travelled before the, the World Cup in 2007. They left all the, the big lads yeah, at home. Yeah, they left then. all the big uh, lads at home, and um, us boys, the B team, went over and rocked up over there, and I can remember Tony Buckley, um, like, that guy is a man mountain, like 135 he, kilos. He's a large human, yeah. And, like, guys just trying to hold the big man up, and he was just completely... <laughs> all over the shop and like punching holes in the wall <laughs> fell off the bed and cut his eye open and just in a completely absolute madness and do you, it's going to be madness when the post-match function is in a nightclub <laughs> and and you walk you walk up and you're expecting you know you're suited and booted and you're ready to walk into this lovely hotel and get yourself a nice steak and so you at least tr- you, you have to keep it together for a time usually yeah and you know an old glass of Argentinian Malbec you know just sitting <laughs> chilling out taking it easy the next thing we get off this bus and there's like promotional girls lined up either side of of, of, the, of the nightclub and we're like right boys here we go <laughs> <laughs> and you had mad men on that tour like Neil Best and um Myself and uh, yourself yeah. and Best had a reputation at the time for you know <coughs> sitting down and just you know how can we hit our next opponent really hard? Yeah, like Bestie was just mad. Um, at least I had a bit of purpose to what I was doing. <laughs> he just he just ran around trying to kill people. Uh, I caught up with him in the end, but yeah, Bestie was a big massive hitter. I can remember like just flooring guys. Yeah. Uh, Cardiff game at home and. If you go on to YouTube or anything, and you know, was it Lolly Kiri that that hit in the, one of the autumn internationals, and he just he punched the Bob's weight too. He was only maybe 105 kilos, absolutely shredded. Um, but yeah, uh, he, I think he's overworking in Singapore at the minute. Um, just shows you how crazy people's lives can go post rugby. But an abs, a hard, hard man. You were saying, Stephen, there was a, I think maybe you probably felt that fear or the guilt the day after and there was a, a homeless chap who was it was on the streets in Argentina that he came across. Yeah, yeah that was that was after after the, that, that trip and we were leaving, uh, we were leaving the hotel and Bestie being Bestie, he's like, I'm not taking all this kit home. I was like, I don't need all this here. I've got plenty of kit. 
And he walks out, and I go out with him. I have like a couple of hoodies or something, and that are like five XL. <laughs> I'm not going to need them. And we walk out, and it's like two degrees in Buenos Aires, and walk out the door, and of course, Bestie sprints across the six-lane motorway with his bag of kit, gets to the middle, and there's this old, uh, old man who seemed to be lying there for months on end and covered in sleeping bags and Bestie just lifts the sleeping bag up right mate and I'm like uh, what's going on here he goes here do you want some kit and he just leaves him a bag of kit and I throw him a couple of jerseys and a, uh, a coat or something and the homeless guy just looked up to us and thanked us and that was just Bestie he didn't really he didn't really care he just kind of got on with life and didn't take life too seriously and even when he was playing for Ireland yes of course it meant the world to him to, to represent his country but he never took it too seriously. He always had a smile on his face and always had a bit of crack. And mm. to be honest, he probably would have had a lot more caps if he had a, been this you know, religious robot that just wanted to play international rugby. Mm. Uh, but I think that's why everybody liked him. Right, so... so I could talk about Bestie all day. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like Many stories could. do you want? I'm actually, I'm actually <laughs> I'm sort of being told to you know, move Fez off Bestie stories, but uh, we might come back. Um, big weekend ahead of us in the Champions Cup. Uh, big weekend for the Irish provinces as well. Uh, Leinster against Wasps. That wasn't a good fixture for Leinster last season, Kev. Uh, Wasps turned Leinster over badly twice. Yeah, Wasps are a serious team. Um, they play in a certain way where they don't have maybe the best defence in the league, but they score lots and lots of points. They've got a Real Madrid model. Whatever you score, we'll score more. And when you look at some of the attacking talent they have, Willie LaRue, Christian Way, Curly Beale, Cipriani, Joe Simpson, these are guys that like to counter-attack. And what's really exciting for me is Leinster are going to go out to play as well. And what Lancaster and Leo put together now is a team that keeps the ball in hand and goes. And the likes of Joey Carberry and some of these new guys are bringing that real inta- attacking intent. And what Johnny's going to have to avoid is kick into that back three, like because they will run it back all day. And then the likes of Joe Simpson in particular, Joe Wade, um, uh, sorry, Joe Simpson... Uh, Christian Wade are so dangerous in any space and Lancer just going to have to be watertight in their D um, I think it was a Worcester scored 33 30, points again. Yeah, yeah. so they can see points like they will concede points but Lancer need to be watertight in D and need to be a lot better than they were against Cardiff uh, as they realise yeah I mean Lancer had their own defensive troubles last week against Cardiff who um, I believe uh, should have had their bellies tickled um, but if they do, if Lancer do that again They'll, they'll be murdered because yeah. Wasps have a lot more firepower than Cardiff. Yeah, uh, like they realised that they would be pretty hard on themselves. I think there were some difficulties last week in terms of the fact that they had to bring the international guys back in and trying to. It's a really hard balance because, like, it's a big game against Cardiff. You want to stay top of the league, but there's no doubt you got one eye on Wasps from. Like, the coaches have been looking at the Wasps game for two months now and they've been analysing Wasps and prepping and preparing a game plan and thinking about the, the team that they're going to need to, to beat. Uh, a really strong Wasp side so that was a challenge to balance that and balance the t- type of team they want to put out against Cardiff how they want to play how many plays they want to show uh, before mm. Wasps how much they want to give away so it's really tricky so they scraped a win um, there's no doubt that uh, there'd be no bellies tickled this weekend no they definitely um, showed they definitely <laughs> showed the if we give you the outside we won't bother tackling you and you can score tries which wasn't a good move um, but the the challenge of actually integrating the players back because that, that Leinster team that played last week will not be the same team that turns up against Wasps. So what is what is the, the big challenge there? Well, Fez will give you a better insight than I would because I think for you, Fez, like when you were ingrained in the Irish squad and spent a 
kind of 10 weeks in a row focusing on Irish plays and Irish way of playing and then come back to Ulster for a big European game like it's tricky it's a tricky yeah, transition it is and you know you go into Irish camp and Kev will back me up and this your hand in a sheet and you've maybe 60 line, line outs on it all the different options you have to cover all the options especially us in the back row because you had to learn them all and then you, you jump straight out of that system and back into the Ulster system or Leinster or whatever it may be and you're handed another sheet and you have to update all your line outs and it's mentally it's very challenging so I would totally agree with Kev about the lads some of them maybe having an eye on the wasp fixture um, but listen, good teams win when they're not playing well and, and Leinster they didn't play well against Cardiff Cardiff had a couple of good guys big Nick Williams was is back to his barnstorm <coughs> himself um, and, and Cardiff are an okay team but Leinster got the win and they're keeping a bit of momentum going. They've got a huge game and they know they're going to have to be a lot better to beat this was side. But to come back in from internationals um, in India club, it can be very difficult. Yeah, Jamie Heaslip's out, which is not something you can often say. And he's out for a bit of a stretch here with a back injury. Uh, but as was, we do have, there's a couple of players who are still hanging around. Sean O'Brien's back in. Dan Levy, Reese Ruddock, Josh Vanderfleer looked sharp against Cardiff. Uh, they're not back. They're not bad resources to be able to pick from. Yeah, they're not. And Jimmy Heaslip, you're just used to seeing his name on the team sheet week in week out. And will that have an impact? You know, with his leadership and everything else, it might do. But then again, you have somebody like uh, of Sean O'Brien's ability who can step in and he can play anywhere in the back row. It doesn't like he played number eight the whole way through underage system, a bit like myself. Um, so for me, if he stepped in there, I think Jack Conan might be out with it with an injury also. Um, but Dan Levy, and for me, is just an incredible talent. Every time I watch him, he's just he, he's either man of the match or he should get man of the match. Um, and Josh is is going to be pushed hard for that seven jersey with with Dan there. Um, and well, it's just brilliant for Leo Collin to have so many options. And even if you pick up an injury or two, you still have a lot of quality there to choose. Uh, Kev Vanderfleer is an important player for the way Leinster try and play. Yeah, he is, and <clears throat> I think he's done incredible work in the last couple of years to get the level he's at but he's benefited from Lancaster coming in and the way Leinster play he's he's one of the fittest players I know he will just run all day he's incredible shape he trains really hard he's a good professional but he just has a natural engine he's one of those guys like Chris Henry in Ulster that just doesn't run out of gas you can play for 150 minutes and he'd still be motoring up and down the park and he gets through a lot of working games and he, he's a really good link player for Leinster um, you notice he gets involved a lot in open play and you know uh, passing on to backs and just that that kind of link man and the back and the the the, the groundhog man that that frees up some of the ball carriers. Would you say, would you say he's a bit like Justin Tipperick, <coughs> the kind of that kind of player? He's obviously got a bit of pace as well. You, you know when he was playing uh, for Ireland, not not obviously in the sixties <coughs> before that. He, every time he got the ball, he seemed quite explosive yeah. and powerful as well. And it's the same as Justin Tipperick. He seems to be that link man as well. Would you agree? It's very similar. Um, I think, uh, like Tipperick, I've got like a huge amount of admiration for. I hated playing against because he was just everywhere. You just see that blue scrum cap everywhere <laughs> yeah. you go, yeah. like like an absolute pest on the ground. And like he's got a lot of gas. And yeah, I think Josh is a very similar player. And like I said, he's really relished under Lancaster. Yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing to think that like you got say Jordy, Jamie. And Jack, Jack Cohen, well, and three yeah. internationals injured, and you can still can still pick a back row like this. Yeah, it's like um, you know you'd imagine that yeah the, the likes of Levy who's just had such a great season as well, and you know, there's talk of Reese Ruddock. He said he could step up. He did the number eight job against Cardiff as well, and then 
and then maybe like you could have someone like Josh in reserve or something like that as well so you could you could either see Levy or, or Josh kind of being that kind of guy to come off and make an impact on the bench off the bench but um, it's amazing yeah, we're just kind of listing out the injuries they had like you know like Kearney Heaslip Conan Cro- um, Jordy Murphy as well Sean Cronin who's back training but not back yet as well and yet they're still you could have the likes of McFadden and Dave Kearney being on the bench as well and, and, and as I said one of those big back row guys and like the, the likes of even some like Rory um, Rory O'Loughlin as well like who's you know he actually has a justified case to start as well like so all of a sudden these young lads have come through and they were getting a lot of flack last year but now you name a team and you're almost leaving some main guys out that you would have picked in the past and it's a it's amazing to kind of see that they've they kind of they've they have transitioned so quickly haven't they like yeah and I think like there's a nice mix of coach coaching setup there and that Leo is good at the man management side and Lancaster is very good at bringing through young players he did in England and I think England are seeing the benefits now from a lot of the groundwork he laid but you look at the young guys he's brought through um, and put his faith in and him and Leo are doing a great job in empowering those guys and and getting the most out of them and for the match as a whole I think it can only benefit from having uh, Nigel Owens as referee he's refereed some belters over the last few years and you know big day it's going to be a big crowd there's what 40, 45, 50,000 people at the yeah, VU Stadium year, yeah, yeah. Um, they could get a treat with this one I mean it was what four, 40 odd to 30 odd against Worcester last week you could easily <coughs> see the same again and Leinster will be hoping that the uh, the home bias towards quarterfinal teams um, will see them out in this one Yeah it's it's an interesting one I'm not sure of the stats but um, I think last year the previous years the last year first versus eighth eighth come out on top for like two or three years in a row so like nothing's a given when it comes to knockout rugby um, but the, the Leinster lads will understand that for me Nigel Owens isn't the best referee in the world for referee and the breakdown And um, but if you want a game to be flowing let go the 50-50s to be let go and you want open play and that's all players really want is the game to be quick and, and sped up but he misses quite a lot as well for me um, there's a lot of stuff that could be penalised uh, but he gets away with it um, and the reason everybody loves Nigel Owens is because he lets the game flow and it's a better spectacle and that's all everybody wants and because of his one-liners <laughs> yeah his one-liners yeah <laughs> but like it, it's worth just saying like what way do you see it at the weekend the very first set piece that Leinster get they're going to send Robbie Henshaw absolutely f- hurtling into Jimmy Goppert I think that's that'll be a really good attack employee there's no one that runs harder <laughs> in Ireland right no. now than Robbie mm-hmm. Henshaw and Jimmy's tough and he's plucky but he's a small guy and uh, I think that'll be good go forward for Leinster um, sending him into Cipriani and, and Galbraith So that's first game of the weekend then we move uh, south to Limerick Munster play Toulouse two of the grand old heavyweights of European rugby um, this in fairness Toulouse aren't looking brilliant at the moment 10th in mm. the top 14 um, Munster have been playing well They have been and um, ever since the, the passing of Anthony Foley they've, they've regrouped um, <coughs> gathered themselves and realised what what Monster Rugby is all about and what they're playing for and there seems to be a lot of pride and I don't think they've got the pe- best team individually I don't think they've got the you know outstanding class and quality that you look through the team sheet of, of the possible Toulouse team and but what what you have to have in rugby is a big heart and Monster certainly have that and they've shown that this last four or five months the, the heart and the passion that they have and it gets you over the line in, in tight games that 1-2% it really does get you over the line I was just seeing on, on social media and um, you know Conor Murray 
putting up a picture of, of him playing against Toulouse and Simon Zebo putting a picture of him playing against Toulouse in, in previous years. Um, and I think they're ready to go. I think they're ready to rock and roll. Um, it's going to be a massive task for them, but just the way they're going, the, the momentum that they've built, the consistency in their performances also. They're not a team that's like Ulster that uh, can play unbelievable rugby one week and beat somebody by 40 or 50 points and then have a mediocre performance the, the, the next week um, and they're just their consistency and their performance I think they're going to be very very hard to stop and on the other hand you got a Toulouse side that have lost their identity for me yeah. uh, I remember playing Toulouse in the semi-final in 2009 uh, possibly 2010 and like there's this fear factor going into yeah. play them where you just knew you were going to be playing against the big men that played a high tempo and were so hard to stop on their day but they've gone away from that. I think they they pick like they have a lot of superstars, but they don't know what to lose rugby is about. They've massive men. They don't look particularly well conditioned though, and they tend to fade out in the last 20, 30 minutes of games. And once or no, they get the tempo up. Toulouse will really, really struggle. Yeah, we'll um, we'll have James Cullen on, on the line in the next segment. Now we'll definitely ask him about his feelings about Toulouse having played them this season. But um, the uh, Munster do have a number of players out. Pat. Mm. Yeah, there's um. Saidi's out for them. I think Keatley's gonna miss the game, and then you have the second row lads like Sean Klein's out for the rest of the season, and Dave Foley looks like his season could be over as well. He's it got over, um, yeah. so you've got to like I suppose you kind of look at their second row. You have Dunnock Ryan, um, who's kind of been in the media a good bit now this weekend, and probably Billy Holland. But then you have this guy <laughs> that they're allowed to bring over, like for all the cribbing about kind of you know Ryan leaving. You've got Jean Diesel. The super rugby giant of him. I was going to curse there. <laughs> He's a beast of a man, and so like the interesting thing is to see if he starts as well. And um, is he going to have his top on this week? For me, hopefully he has <laughs> he has it off for at least at least a couple of minutes of the game. Um, but yeah, and they're. Um, but as a team, are we now seeing a team? But which which whatever they've gone through this season as a group, they look more like a senior team than a group of young lads who we probably did mm. consider a lot of them to be a couple of years ago. I mean, is, is that what we're seeing here with Munster? I think it's always been there. And when you lose the likes of Ron O'Gara, Paul O'Connell, Peter Stringer, it takes a little time to adjust. Yeah, you have to reload. And yeah, you have to reload. And um, more senior players have got to come through. Um, Pete O'Man, he was out injured for a long time. He's now back. You know the leadership that he brings um, is vital to the Munster team, um, and I just think it's taken a wee bit of time. And look at them now—they're absolutely flying, and they're, they're my tip to go really far in both competitions in, in, in the European Cup and in the league. Um, and just with the, the heart that they play with, it's really, really difficult to stop. Yeah, they've got an incentive as well because unlike Leinster, Munster could get a home semi if they if they turn over to lose here. I mean, they just so everyone's clear on this. Uh, Leinster cannot get a home semi if they win. They still will be playing in France in the next round because they face the winners of Toulon and Clermont, who we'll also ask James about. And then if Munster win, they would be at home as long as Glasgow don't beat Saracens yeah, I've got that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you if you're a C for the wonderful draw I, thank you so, so much th- by home thought, you mean they'd have to play they'd be playing the Aviva they'd be sorry they would be playing in Ireland they'd have yeah. home country advantage not in Thomond Park though. not in Thomond Park you yeah. probably Stephen had that kind of thing of like going down with Ulster to play Munster when they were expected to win as well in, in that quarter final in 2012 yeah like we were complete underdogs and as I say we finished 8th um, I can remember playing Claremont away and Johan Muller sitting in the, in the changing room before the match and he says right guys we're currently sitting in economy here on the plane you know if we win this game we'll be flying business class 
the semi-final and like this is our captain sitting there going right and everybody was like right I want to go business class <laughs> I'm going business class today and we should have won that match against Claremont like we, we yeah, played much game. better rugby with so many opportunities uh, I think it was Nathan Hines was getting away with murder that day <laughs> um, and uh, yeah we, we should have won the match but again we just fell in we were there we qualified we hadn't qualified for a while and we get in and we went to Thurman Park and you talk about players, big name players stepping up to the plate. You know, Tom Court. You know who, you know maybe took a bit of criticism over the years internationally, but he was unbelievable that day. John Afoa, Ruin Pinar kicking penalties from the halfway. Um, I was playing quite well. Chris Henry, Craig Gilroy scored the try of the season. It was voted try of the season. So for things to go your way, you need a little bit of luck. But everybody has to be on top of their game, and one or two of the monster lads weren't. And that's why we got over the line, and we won quite convincingly in the end. But yeah. uh, it, it was a great game, and then we had to travel down to the Viva Stadium for the semi-final against Edinburgh, which is a difficult one because you know you're, you know, if you play half decent, that you're going to win, if if that makes sense. Um, but when we got to the final, we just got blown away by the, by the best team in the, in Europe that season. Yeah, you were both named at um, six in that game. The uh, you didn't last as long. Oh, I played. I played eighty minutes. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I played eighty my, minutes. My memory's completely wrong then. Yeah, no. Uh, you're thinking of somebody else. No. Yeah. Do you know what? Kev and Shawnee O'Brien. It was in the middle of the field, and I took a ball like standing like this, and Kev smashed me from one side, and Shawnee O'Brien smashed me from the other side. And I was like maybe about 33, 35 minutes into the game. Yeah. And I tore my calf straight away, and I went in at half time, and I was like, we were sort of still in the game at half time. I think Ruan kicked a long penalty just before the, the half-time whistle and tore my calf. And I was like, getting in at half-time, I was like, I, I need to get off the pitch here. And I was wheeled out and I played 80 minutes, yeah. And, and then I couldn't go on the tour to New Zealand Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks later because I tore my calf, yeah. So, so we'll, we'll take a break now and we're going to come back with a, an interview with James Collin, former Munsterman currently playing in Poe, who was the number eight uh, that day in Thoman Park when you lads turned Munster over. The only <laughs> quarter-final Munster have ever lost. <laughs> At home, and uh, yeah, Fez, you're responsible. So we'll be back in a second with James Collin. have been joined on the line by James Collin formerly of Munster now of French top 14 side Poe uh, James how are you doing? I'm uh, very well how are you? Not too bad um, we're it's all a bit jealous um, what temperature is it over there right now? Yeah it's just a 22 we'll be alright I'll, I'll have the factor 50 on later there no, it's, it's, it'll be alright don't worry Yeah what first attracted you to the lifestyle in 22 degrees? Yeah, yeah. that's it yeah yeah Nothing um, to do with the wine and the weather. Yeah, go on. <laughs> how is you're over there a couple of years now? How's it going for you? Yeah, yeah, it's gone great. Um, obviously, the first year was uh, the big year, really, because we needed to 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 um, 
get promoted. So um, that was the challenge then we came over. And um, obviously, you know, Simon had done a bit of work behind the scenes and, and, and before uh, he spoke to me, you know, with the new players like Damien Troy and John Boyou who, you know, won French leagues and won European Cups and stuff. So it was a good base of um, local French lads who were um, just, you know, needed to keep over the edge of small because they got to the final and the semi-final a couple of years in a row. And uh, yeah, so it's gone really well in second year we've, Second year, we stayed up, which was the, the important thing. And then we were able to recruit fellas like Conrad and Sadie and Tom Taylor and Steph and stuff. So we've been able to kick on this year now as well. And, and you know, we're put the the good end of the table and we're pushing on hopefully now to try and get that Champions Cup spot for next year, you know. Yeah, and you're you're in well well position now, I think fifth on the table at the moment um, with a little yeah. bit of a cushion underneath you. And uh, we're looking ahead to the... Champions Cup quarterfinals this weekend. Munster, your old team, um, facing Toulouse, who aren't doing brilliantly in the top fourteen. Yeah, no, it's been tough for them. They haven't, uh, I think actually we beat them up but, uh, in Toulouse um, around the start of January, and they've struggled since. Um, but it, it's kind of looking like this is to actually stay in the Champions Cup. It might be the only way of of them doing it is to actually win the thing. So. Um, I think, you know, they'll probably Munster will certainly get their best of the weekend. It's always a massive weekend, especially the history between the two clubs and uh the boys at home will have to be rise on their game to to, to, to beat them because there's plenty of quality in that team, you know. So out of interest, if you were coaching Munster this weekend, what would you be yeah. targeting about to lose? They're big ball carriers. This guy Joe DeCorey, Richie uh, you know, the the great I'm not sure if Richie Gray is injured or if he's fit or not to play. Um they could they kinda of play um you know, kind of like France. You know, obviously Guino is a, a, a massive influence. It's big ball carriers carrying around the corner, nine attacking fringes, and then um, you know just trying to flood that channel. So the you know first up, I know Munster's defence has been is been amazing, and that's what they'll be they'll be looking to set out with that low tackle focus and just stopping the offloads, and then you know. Keeping that, keeping the scoreboard in front of you. If you keep the scoreboard in front of you, then you know Toulouse will have to chase again. Then, and, and, and I think Munster could actually go on and win it quite, quite nicely in the end if they um, if they get a good start and actually get get a few scores on the board early. I'm going to bring Fez in on that. So um, you've got yeah. big ball carrying forwards there for Toulouse. Uh, how, how do you stop that? Is it the chop tackle or is it going man ball everything to target the offload? Man and ball, you give my book a plug, are you? Thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I think James is right. They'll be tackling low, but um, they'll also be trying to tag the ball as well. So I'm sure there'll be uh, a double man focus getting in and, and stopping those guys. But Munster are always incredibly strong and powerful at the breakdown. Um, and I think they'll be getting over the ball quite a bit, making the, making the Toulouse team um, concede penalties. Uh, we know from the past that you know they can, their their discipline isn't great, and if Munster can build a score, then the seed of doubt is sown into the minds of uh, of the Toulouse lads. And I think I agree with James. You know, I think they could run out worthy winners in the end. But you know, you got to make those tackles. It's easier said than done. These big men, Joe DeCorey, coming around the corner, 130 kilos. You know, you have to put them down. But Munster's defence has been really good this season. And if they keep playing with the passion, as I said earlier on, then I think they're going to be uh, difficult to stop. But you just never know with French rugby what they're going to throw at you. And uh, Toulouse could have the, the game of their lives and, and they could really push push Munster. But we all know how strong Munster are at home. James, um, in your experience now over a couple of years, the I know 
we, we trot this out all the time. You never know with French rugby. Mm. Is it the same on the ground over there in the top 14? Um, I, it is and it isn't, I suppose. The one thing, I suppose, the difference between the top 14 is that there's pressure on everybody. You have to win because if you don't, you go down. So, um, they, you know, you can go to places where maybe European-wise teams like Breve or, you know, Cass might really be too concerned about it because they're putting massive focus on that on their top 14 competition. So that's why there is that kind of enigma when the French teams, I suppose, turn to the European one because it's 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 the pressure is off nearly, you know, that they can go and play, they can go and express themselves. During the top 14, it's a very long season. It's a very competitive season. Everybody is, um, you know, in good form. And it, they're the big games for the teams like Munster and Leinster are coming to France, coming to places like Montpellier, Claremont, those, you know, those big, big teams that have got a, an unbelievable reputation. But um, I think the difference between the two is, as I said, the pressure is a, a little bit is maybe released on the European one uh, the Europe for the, the bigger teams. And they, they can just go and express themselves because... You know, there's a huge amount of quality in all the teams on the Champions Cup, and there's you know guys who won World Cups and Tri Nations, and you name it, they've done it. You know, so um, yeah, I think that's maybe the difference. I think that's why there is that kind of an enigma coming. You know, that, that comes along with the the Champions Cup is that the French teams just go and express themselves and and see where that lands them. Then basically, so you have um, moving on, I suppose slightly to to next season already. You you've got a couple of uh, of Irish players already at Poe, and we've got a yeah. big name Irishman who looks to be going to Racing, Dunnick Ryan. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting move. Um, have you did you hear any chat about that at all? No, I you know. It, you know <laughs> sometimes you just ignore the papers because for the contracts are their own business, you know because. Um, you never really know, you know. There's always chat and there's always pressure, and then you know it's tough for the players. I think the boys will will testify it as well. You know, you hear these things and you see these things in the paper, and it can be very difficult because it puts you in a difficult situation with your own club. Then you're going crazy. That was the first I heard about it. I was on somewhere, but um, I know. I look at if it if it is true and it's confirmed, it's a great move for Donica. And first and foremost, you know he's going to be playing with a fantastic team with a great. You know, quality, and he's got the cushion of uh, of Raj being there as well, kind of showing him the ropes of Paris and stuff. But um, you know, I you know, I it's, it's hard to comment on something that's kind of just speculation at the moment. I know Raj is kind of commented on it, and, and it's um, until you actually get the, the you know the actual call from Dunnock himself and saying, "Listen, yeah, it's true. What, what do I do? <laughs> Where do I uh, pay my bills and all that kind of carry on?" Then, um, then, then I wouldn't really, you know like to say one way or the other it'll be difficult for Munster if it is if that's the case because Dunnock is such a big part of the dressing room um, he's so respected in the, in the group because he's been there for so long and he's done pretty much everything you know I don't know how many caps he has for Ireland he's been in European Cup winning squads and, and teams he's won leagues and um, you know it'll be a shame for Munster if that's if that's what happens but like you know Dunnock needs to look after himself as well and needs to do what's right for him and, and, and what what down the future for him after rugby as well, you know. So, um, look, as I said, it's kind of difficult to, to comment on it until it's confirmed. But you know, if, it, if it's if it's true, then it's great for Donnelly. If it's not, then you know, it's difficult for Donnelly because he's he's trying to do a, a contract negotiation with Munster and, and the IRC at the same time, you know. So, it, I, I hope in one sense it's true that he's you know that he's able to go on that 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 the it isn't just speculation for him, but. Um, yeah, until it's confirmed, it's kind of hard to really say what's going on, you know. 
So James makes an interesting point there because he talks about the Munster contract negotiation and also the IRFU one. So, um, Fez, I, I, I know uh, earlier on uh, off air you tore me a new one for using the term dual contract because that isn't how it works. <laughs> no, um, it, it's different. I think um, <clears throat> there's a lot, a lot of national contracts out there. I think the Leinster players have the fair share of those. Um, I know I was on a national contract when I was with Ulster, so when my agent went to negotiate a contract, he wasn't going to the CEO of Ulster Rugby or yeah. David Humphreys, who was in charge back then, going, right, this is what Stevie Ferris is worth. He was going to there a few directly and negotiating that. So um, it's disappointing that, by all accounts, I think Donica wasn't um, wasn't given an, a, a contract by the RFU and like Donica has to look after number one you know you got to look after number one and if a big offer comes on the table a great club uh, like Racing comes in then why wouldn't he go and, and try something else he's 33 uh, yes I, th- I think he's playing the best rugby of his career at the minute and he was out for a long period of time with a bad toe injury but he's come back he's shown his worth he, he's shown that he's a proud monster man an Irish man and he he's a potential lion now for the summer he's, he's played that well but yeah it's a difficult one um but at the same time clubs all around the world are very quickly you know once you're done with the club they get rid of you and bring in somebody else so you've always got to look after yourself when it comes to these situations and uh, i think it's it's disappointing from an rfu point of view that they they didn't offer him something because he's going to be a massive loss as jim says that the monster in Irish rugby that's what we were saying. He's been like they've been made to look pretty foolish now because maybe that decision had maybe made maybe September October. They do make a lot of decisions earlier in the season and uh, and, there's and, n- and there's not many central contracts. Let's yeah, be clear on there's this. only around, uh, we kind of we reckon around maybe I think there was only fourteen last season, but it, it could be up to around fifteen or sixteen now because they're coming into a World Cup cycle again. But Ryan is. He's had a, a brilliant Six Nations. I think up there with, with maybe Stander and, and Henshaw, Ireland's best player. And, and now all of a sudden that decision's been made and the IRFU are made to look pretty foolish as well. Yeah, I mean, he's 33 years old, but like Fez said, he like had a lot of injuries. He doesn't have that many miles on the clock. And he's definitely he's playing the best rugby I've ever seen him play. And the big thing for me is Ireland don't, aren't, we're not awash with second rows and experienced second rows in particular. And... Um, I think what James is saying in terms of what he adds to the change room, like I've experienced in, in a couple of Irish camps with him, he's very steady voice. Um, he speaks a lot of sense. He's important in terms of line-out planning. Those kind of things make a big difference. And that, that level of experience he has will be difficult to replace. And it's going to be a good test now of the kind of policy that the IRFU have informally applied of not picking guys who leave the country if he does decide to go. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one, and it'd be if he does move a huge loss for for Irish rugby. But what, what, why why was he not given an an Irish contract? Why was there nothing on the table? Was it because was this decision made six months ago, or you know, it'd be pretty foolish for the RFU to make a decision on somebody's contract before a Six Nations when you know a guy they can easily change their mind and and put a contract in front of him. And I think the point was made last night on the Facebook Live, also on the show that. Jimmy Heaslip's only four days younger than Donegal Ryan, but yeah, Jimmy Heaslip has a pretty hefty um, national contract that uh, is paying good wages. So, you know, why doesn't Donegal Ryan's made to be like this old guy who's now moving to France for the last couple of years of his career and everything else? But Kev's completely right. He doesn't have a lot of miles on the clock, he's only so much more to offer. So, Yes, there are. If you might have made a decision six months ago that, you know, maybe going forward, Donegal Ryan isn't part of the plan. But when he has a Six Nations like he did, 
why can they not change their mind and put yeah. something in front of them? And that's, I'd say that's frustrating. And um, Donegal Ryan, I'm sure, is a bit peed off that uh, you know, nothing, was, nothing was put in front of him. But you have to look after number one. So we'll get confirmation at some point about Donegal Ryan's future plans. Uh, James, before we let you go, yeah. your future plans, I mean, I suppose, do you know how, how many years have you got left playing, do you reckon? Oh, and then oh, what, what, what are you going to do after that? Playing. <laughs> um, I don't know yet. I haven't uh, really thought about it all that, you know, and that's been off the pole. Um, after rugby, I'm going to, to look at going into coaching. Um, I've spoken with the guys in Marco the here um, about doing the, the diplomas going forward just the same as Raj and uh, I suppose Prendy and those lads have done um, but no life is good here you know we're happy with the house and the kids are in settled in school and stuff like that so it's um, it's really become home you know it's it's more like a holiday home now for my parents at this stage so it's just <laughs> so much but uh, no um, long term is, is the plan is to stay to, to get into coaching and to, to have a look at um you know, staying in rugby and progressing through that. But, um, yeah, as I said, I, I, we'll see how the body goes now for a while yet, you know. Good oh, man. So we'll see uh, James right. Collin rising through the French coaching ranks. Um, thank you very much uh, for your time today. Up next, no yes. up next, we will look ahead uh, to the odds for this weekend's rugby with Alex Donahue from Ladbrokes. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Um, we're back with Alex Donahue from Ladbrokes. Alex, hello. Hello, good morning, guys. Um, what have you guys got as the odds for the weekend's rugby? So we're looking at the uh, Champions Cup, or as I like to prefer to remember it, the Heineken Cup odds for the weekend. Um, looking like some really decent games, actually. We'll start with the tightest game as far as the betting is concerned, which probably I think looks like it's going to be the best game of the weekend. Leinster uh, hosting Wasps. Um, Leinster are the odds on favourites to win the game um, 8-15 to 15 to win it without the handicap Wasps 6-4 to four, um, and the handicap line is priced at 4 points so we're looking at all 4 games all 4 of the favourites uh, all the teams you'd expect to be odds on are all, are all long odds on but Leinster are the ones that the bookies think if any of the favourites are going to slip up this weekend Ladbrokes we think Wasps probably have the best chance of causing what, what would be considered an upset. They're six to four. A couple of punters have been backing their matches six to four to win that game, and um, four points on the handicap. So I'm not sure what, what your guys' opinion is. Whether you think Leinster are the are the weakest of the four favourites this week, or, or or if you think you can only see a, a one-way victory for them, I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah, for me, uh, Stevie Ferris here. For me. Um I, I always bet on the spread. Always go on the spread. It just with with the odds. Is, is it is it ten to eleven or eleven to ten on the odds on the spread? Yeah, yeah ten to eleven. Ten to eleven on the spread, and we, we're giving four points to Wasps, um, taking four points away from Leinster. So, like I so said, all the, the early action on these games is backing Wasp on the spread with the four and backing them from scratch. So I think, like I say, they look like the most popular underdog of of, of the weekend's games. Yeah, you sure. see, I, I would I would probably go with uh, Leinster minus four to be honest. <laughs> you're that, you're <laughs> okay. that confident, are you? Yeah. Um, they're at home. Yeah. Um, they have a point to prove after a disappointing performance last week. Yeah. They've uh, an experienced guy like Johnny Sexton coming back, and I think they're just better up front. And it doesn't matter about their back row with the injuries that they have. They're they're just better. You've seen uh, the Was team get over the line against Toulouse in the group stages, but they got demolished up front, absolutely demolished. And even Connor gave them a run up front yeah. as well. So for me. Um, I know there's a lot of punters go, going the other way, but I, I would probably take Leinster minus four points. Okay, Alex, the Munster game? Yeah, Munster um, 
they are even shorter favourites. They're one to five um, to lose seven to two. And if we're looking at the spread, it's nine points. So um, I know that the French teams um, don't always necessarily travel very well. and We're not giving them too much of a, of a chance here. So would you say the double Munster minus nine, Leicester minus four looks a fair, a fair double for this weekend? Or do you think that you give Toulouse a squeak of making it a bit closer? Um, again, I don't. Yeah, I would probably go with uh, Munster minus nine. I just think the way they're playing at the minute. Um, and but the, when it comes to the, when it comes to betting, and I, and I would bet quite a bit. Now that I'm retired and I can bet, it's brilliant. And <laughs> nobody's checking up on me. Um, yeah, and it's brilliant. We're, we're, our share price has gone up in the last well. In fairness, Labrooks do do give the best odds, and um, I, I do gamble with those guys. But it's uh, it's it's a tight one, and there's always one or two to slip up. But uh, for me, this monster team, I think they'll put this to lose team to the sword just the way they're playing. But uh, it's rugby, it's knockout, it's knockout rugby, and anything can happen on the day. But for me, yeah, double would, would, would go very nicely with uh, Leinster minus four, Monster minus nine. Any decent accumulator uh, on that, Alex? Yeah, we're looking at the big four. I mean, this is a great thing about betting. When we talk about it on paper, it all looks so easy. And then, obviously, the games the games go underway and it kind of goes can go a little bit pear-shaped. But when you look at the big four teams, uh, all the favourites this weekend, Clermont, uh, Leinster, Munster and Saracens, if you put those four teams in a double, not not even on handicaps, just to win the games, sorry, a double, a fourfold, uh, it's six to four for all four of those teams to win, which I think looks really, really popular. Um and then if you put them each each in on their handicaps, um, it, the odds are going to be even bigger than that. You're going to be looking at cl- close to 10 to 1 for them to more cover their respective handicaps. But I like the look of the, the, the double there, both the Irish teams to cover. But my money, I think I'm going to play a little bit safer. I'll just go all four favourites to win on Friday night, 6-4 to four for me. So they can win by one point, they can win by 100 points, it doesn't matter. But I think if there was to be an upset, it would be the Wasps uh, beating Leinster. That's where some of the punts have been putting their money down early doors. But for me, I think... All four favourites will get the job done and we'll see them march on into the semis of this cup tournament. So we haven't really talked about the last two semi-finals. Uh, Saracens, Glasgow and Claremont, Toulon. Uh, Glasgow, there's talk of them bringing 5,000 fans to this. I mean, this this is a big weekend for Pro 12 and for, for Scottish rugby, Pat. Yeah, there was it, and yeah. they they do bring a, a a lot of traveling support. Even you sometimes go to a Connacht game, and they'll have like three or four hundred that have traveled over as well. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise you that they've they've got this kind of loyal set of fans that are going to go over to this game, and and that's but like you know like Saracens are absolutely brilliant side in the, the last few years, but um you know that if a lot of people are, if you're looking at shocks this weekend, you know you you could you know do worse than actually look at Glasgow because they're on their day like they're an absolute like a like gnarly kind of you know they're a hardened kind of team they've ruffled up a lot of the Irish sides in the last you know couple of years and um, yeah you, you wouldn't look, look look beyond them if they get a lot of their lads back from the Six Nations as well who are on form um, yeah you, you like I think if I was going for a side maybe to cause a bit of a shock maybe this weekend to go for Glasgow Alex what do you think about that what's your spread for that one yeah, eleven to two Glasgow, so five and a half oh. to one. It's a big price. Um, Saracens, Saracens are one to ten. Um, as far as the bookies can see, it, it, it's as, I would say a certainty, but looks fairly likely. It's interesting what you say about the the Glasgow fans travelling over. I know Scottish rugby seems to be really um, on the up at the moment. There seems to be a bit of a feel good factor at the moment. Obviously, given the, the setup there, there's so many of those players that were involved in Glasgow as well. So you can see why you might latch onto them. I think if you're looking at the handicap, 14 points is the handicap that we give Glasgow. So on that basis, it might sound quite generous giving them a 14 point start um, at the Saracens um, and 11 to two to cause an upset. Like I say, that they haven't been particularly popular so far with the punters. Like I say, the one that they think 
his wasps, if you would even consider that an upset. But but Glasgow, if anyone thinks that that travelling travelling thousands uh, travelling fans are going to get something shouted out, eleven to two for them to win the game, which I'm sure some of those fans might think that might be worth a quid or two. And just before we wrap it up, uh, the the final the final quarter final, Alex, uh, Claremont and Toulon, two of European rugby's heavyweights over the last couple of years. Uh, what have you guys got for that? Yeah, the French powerhouses, 1-4 Clermont, 11-4 Toulon. Uh, the handicap is eight points. Um, so far, I've been quiet on this one, actually. The punters can't really make their mind up which way they want to play on the handicap. Um, I expect we'll see money for the favourite for Clermont, because that's normally how, how it all goes down. But, um, yeah, they at the moment, Toulon, not particularly popular, and obviously Clermont are the favourites um, to win the tournament. Out, sorry, second favourites to win the tournament outright as well behind the Saracens. So they're expected to, to do the business against Toulon. If you think Toulon are going to beat that Clermont, it might be better to actually back them to go all the way. They're currently 12 to 1. So if they were to beat the Clermont away from home, then they're able to come in massively to win the whole thing. But, but no, at the moment, it looks pretty straightforward for, for the favourites. OK. Time to wrap it up. Um, Stephen Ferris, thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin McLaughlin. Thank you, Pat McCarry. Thank you, James Collin, for dialing in from France. And thank you, Alex Donoghue from Ladbrokes. Joe Harrington is our producer and Shane Dempsey is on sound. Get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsjoe.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or through your favourite podcast app. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.